And now, it's time for a Star Trek story. Um, Star Trek stories. Episode 7, I think, Ron Aaron. Our seventh episode of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, last week was our sixth. Yeah, I, I believe so. And that I would mean... I remember that. I, would, I think that means the next one is eight. Whoa. Call me crazy, but I think that's what that means. We might just jump ahead to 11. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks for tuning in, everyone. So glad to have you here. Um, once again, I'm Jaron Hatch, your illustrious host, and joined by my other lovely illustrious host, illustrious. Aaron Cole. Hi. Hi, everybody. Uh, if for those who have been watching or for those who have not been listening, well, one of the two, um, we are about, I think, halfway through now our look at classic Star Trek, um, in particular the 60s show, about halfway through. Um, last time we watched Amok Time. Um, that was our very first Vulcan episode, and that was one of the rare character-centric episodes in the OG, um, focusing on, of course, Spock. Yeah, so this means it's good that this episode is the one we're watching, because it's like we're smack dab in the middle, and in storytelling, that's where the dark forest shows up, right? Oh, oh, oh is, that, is that what's about to happen? Yeah, so we're entering the dark forest <laughs> with this episode. <laughs> Doesn't the dark forest happen a little sooner? Does it? Uh, I, I thought I was always, always smack dab in the middle. I never paid attention to <laughs> stuff in, in school. <laughs> I write stories, but I just make it up as I go. Though. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's, there's never been one dark forest in any of my stories. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so last time we watched a Spock episode, I think we all thoroughly enjoyed it. This week, we are again watching a Spock episode. Um, so this is kind of going to be a little bit of a, a Spock twofer. Spock twofer, um, looking a little more into Spock. And um, we're also going to be getting our first look at what, a first little taste of what the Federation is. I don't think we've really looked at too much of what the Federation is at this point in the show. Um, that'll be fun as well. Um, but before we get to any of that fun stuff, we have another guest host with us. Yay! Yay! Um, yeah, this week, uh, watching Star Trek with us is uh, my very good friend and the very lovely Markay Llewellyn. How are you? Hello. Hi. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> hi. Um, yeah, we met each other back at Even Stevens Sandwiches. Mm, um, the old haunt. Yeah. What would this have been? 2014, 2015? Yeah, about, yeah. I think fall, winter 2014, spring 2015. Uh-huh. Wow. The before times. The before, before times. The before, yeah. before times. <laughs> when uh, the world was simple. Yeah, and, and that's how you and Aaron know each other. That's right. I came into Even Stevens much later. Mm-hmm. You were on your way out, pretty much. Yeah, well, you joined and I had to leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was me personally that caused Marquette to leave Even Stevens. <laughs> oh, no, no. It's good to see you. Yeah. <laughs> you too. Um, I remember working at the sandwich counter and then like where the orders were taken. And then you would come in and I just looked up and then we had just like, oh, hello. Um, and then I feel like we basically have been friends literally since that first moment. Since that moment. I remember it too. I remember walking into this place and there was this very tall guy uh, <laughs> working behind the counter with this very cool hat. And you were just so incredibly friendly right off the bat, and just we just had a casual repertoire right away. And I knew I wanted to work there, and it was I, I was working there within three days of that. 
instance. I think I went back yeah. that afternoon and applied and yeah. interviewed the following day and was hired. Um, yeah, and then eventually you were like, oh, there's this like place in the avenues um, here in Salt Lake City that like opened up. And I'm looking for a place. Do you want to get a place together? I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we became roommates. Yeah. Um, it was an awesome year. For a year, yeah. We were roommates in this very place that we're recording in our Star Trek living room. History. Uh, yeah, that was really fun. Um, if these walls could talk. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. I mean, like, they would get sucked right into our endless conversations. That's all we ever did was just, like, Come home and then just like blah 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 and then just suddenly like well it's eleven o'clock it's time to go to bed and all we did all day was talk about just whatever. And I was in my early twenties at the time, so I was just overthinking the whole world. And you were more than willing to help me get all of those thoughts out and unpack them and figure out what's going on. And we just talk and talk and talk. Yeah, because I was definitely underthinking everything at that, <laughs> at that point. <laughs> I would never describe you as underthinking. Underthinking. <laughs> um, yeah, we had a lot of fun, though. Um, you know, this is kind of appropriate for the episode we're going to watch in a little bit. In a, in a little bit. Um, oh, yeah, Star Trek. Star Trek. Um, just because um, because the episode we're going to watch, Journey to Babel, is definitely about family. And, I mean, it's fun talking talking about some of this stuff because I'm just like, it, as I'm reflecting on some of this conversation i'm like i'm looking at you aaron and i'm looking at you mark i'm like you know these are two people that like there's stuff there's like there's like the friends do you have friends but then there's like a category of like then there's like your chosen family people you know what i mean um where it's like it's a it's a little more and it's a little different you know and it's like there's they're almost these seemingly family dynamics you know and like we live together aaron with everyone people who've had on the podcast like tyson and Jake, um, um, and then we've lived together, um, Marquet, and then we've had like our little kitty friends join us as part of our families, and um, it's always always interesting to me to kind of reflect on um, those like chosen family groups. You always have, of course, your blood family, but you're kind of just you can't really do much with that. I mean, they're they're wonderful, of course, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> if you're lucky. <laughs> if you're lucky. Um, but then there is something about it's fun to have like, but having that sense of family is always so important and everything. And it's fun to get to be able to later in life realize that you can actually choose new family members. Um, and I feel like that's with you two. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what we all did. Like kind of had our own little family units, you know, like living together, like with you guys and then living with you, Marquette was definitely like, was our little family there for a second? Yeah, the chosen family. I, I love that you can, you can have these people, and they're in your court, and they support you. But you, but at the same time, I mean, life gets so busy and so involved, and you, with those people that you choose, you know, you don't need to check in all the time. You know that, like, there's a mutual trust of, if you need me, you tell me, and I'll be there. Um, and then until then, until we see each other again, like we wish each other the very best. And then when you see each other, it's like you were never apart at all. You just pick up right back where you were and that's exactly start, it. Yeah. there you go. Yeah. It's like you never missed a beat when yeah. you see me the next time. Yeah. Yeah. Like before we started this podcast, I had a, uh, like, we hadn't seen each other a whole lot 
Aaron have been in a hot second and with humor K it's also been a hot second but then like seeing like when we started doing it and then seeing you here it's like it's, it's that same thing it's just like oh yeah like you just get right back into it it's so interesting because that's definitely not everyone um I think for you Marque you would you, you live in a, I feel like you live in an interesting place with Star Trek fandom I would call you pretty casual but you genuinely love it I do yes and it's it, I would agree it's an interesting place because I I've never sat down and watched the whole thing uh, but I have I it, Star Trek was something my dad really loved and he wanted to share that love with my brothers and so it wasn't something I was actively involved in and I was a very serious child so the silliness of Star Trek was completely lost on me at the time uh, but it now in my now that I've you know given it a shot again and I've come to understand kind of the intent of the show it's just now something that I just I just truly adore I very much support the fandom I very anything about any memes of the show any episodes I've seen they just truly delight me I just it's an incredible franchise <laughs> Yeah, so Journey to Babel. This is so. This is November seventeenth, nineteen sixty-seven. Going back in time, this was the fifteenth episode produced for the second season. So we're about halfway through the second season now. Um, this is another close look at Spock. It's a Spock episode. Um, clearly, classic Trek's breakout character if you ask basically anyone like who's your favorite show at least your favorite character from the og show i think basically everyone will just instantly say spock yeah or like who do you know from the show yeah from a casual perspective probably spock or kirk yeah even people who don't know the show at all they know the guy with the pointed ears right. they can do the hand yeah the hand thing yeah. that thing yeah <laughs> um while we're while we're watching we can think about what is it that makes spock such a beloved character why do people latch on to spock what is it about spock that we like that we want to reach out to him um something to keep in mind as we watch um this is also another look at like the best friend triangle between kirk spock and mccoy which at this point in our watch we've definitely seen now pretty established i think at this point in the show like that kirk spock mccoy is like the beating heart of the show like their little bromance um can maybe also consider like what is it about those three that we like so much why do they work so well like why are, are like they the heart and soul of the show um other little thing to kind of keep an eye out for like this is our first closer look at the federation um the enterprise is part of starfleet which serves the united federation of planets um i think the Federation goes on to become one of the most important aspects of Star Trek. At this point, though, like it hasn't featured heavily, I think, into the kind of stories we've gotten. It's mostly just been them out there just doing random stuff. So we haven't really seen a lot of like the world. You get the sense it's all there, like through Roddenberry's vision, well, but you just haven't seen it yet. We haven't really seen it in any kind of detail or depth. And this is kind of like the first time they really start to show you this is kind of the world that they're a part of. Um, so that's also something to kind of think about, like what's our feeling about the Federation, especially like since it's their first appearance, realistically, like what makes them interesting or not? How do they relate to the story? 
Um, I don't know if this is usually considered to be one of the all-time franchise greats, but I feel like if most people did like a top 10 of their favorite original ep- series episodes, I think this one would get on most people's top 10. So okay. definitely one of the like classics of the classic show. Fantastic. Um, so good. So again, so guys. So good. <laughs> so good. So good. Um, so yes, we can also ask ourselves, does this one still hold up? Um, if you are going to watch it with us, you can queue up um, Star Trek, the original series on Paramount Plus. Um, I believe if you go to season two, episode 10, you will find Journey to Babel. Um, we're going to kick back, um, have some treats, share some laughs, and watch some Star Trek. And we will see you after that. suspected that you were a little more human than you let on. This is right. I know about the rigorous training of the Balkan youth, but tell me, did he ever run and play like the human children, even in secret? Well, he, uh, he did have a pet salad he was very fond of. Salad? It's sort of a, a fat teddy bear. Teddy bear? Excuse me, Doctor. It has been a rather long day for my wife. Captain. Ambassador. Teddy bear? Not precisely, Doctor. On Vulcan, the teddy bears are alive, and they have six-inch fangs. Just got done watching Journey to Babel. Oof. 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 Heavy. Yeah. Um, a bit of an oof episode. Kind of. an intense one. Dramatic, heavy tones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what we'll start first. Like initial thoughts. Marque, what's what's just the initial thoughts coming right off of this? Well, I definitely see. I, I understand why you were talking about chosen family. In the intro, for sure. Because this episode, it's where we meet Spock's parents, uh, who's, for those who don't know, Spock's dad is a Vulcan and his mother is a human. Um, and Spock does not get along with his parents. I mean, he, he seems to be on good terms with his mom, but 
you find out he and his dad haven't really spoken for about 18 years. And you learn that he's never really been accepted by either humans or Vulcans, but he does have this very solid chosen family within uh, his Star Trek team and within the Federation. And he, being part of this, he is... He has his own sense of community, his own sense of belonging, and it's something that he can rely on. And so, I, yeah, that, that's a big takeaway for me, for sure. Mm-hmm. Spock relying on, like, Kirk and Spock. Mm-hmm. And, like, the rest of his homies, essentially. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, but the parents are here. <laughs> you know? But I got... I know. I got How do we group. all support each other when our parents are around? Yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah, you really see that come to a head, too, when he's in that scene with his mom uh, and having to basically say no to his blood family and say yes to his chosen family because mm-hmm. of his duty. He's like, this is where my duty lies. This is like the life I've chosen, the people I've chosen. Yeah. I love that take. I was not paying that much attention, honestly. I did not <laughs> go that deep into the episode. Really? Yeah. No. But it was fun to watch. Mm-hmm. It was good. Yeah, it's fun that... Um on that note that you said like I'm I'm choosing my chosen my chosen family but then like Kirk kind of comes through it's like we can't let Spock just let his dad die yeah. we gotta come through for Spock mm-hmm. um, and so like we're gonna make sure you do the whole scene where they get Spock out of the chair and it's like we're gonna so you can take care of his dad but then Spock and then Kirk has to stay, stay in the captain's chair while this situation goes down bleeding out of his kidney <laughs> Um, this is one I, I always like, um, it's fun just to see, it's always fun to, there's, there's so few of these episodes that are like so character centric and the OG show and it's fun to see Spock's like parents and just how they interact with, if if you've always seen them all as a family and then to see Spock's parents kind of come in and kind of makes everyone kind of step, take a step back and kind of look at like. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, we're all, we are all a family, but I guess we do all have our own families separate from us and that, how that kind of affects the kind of dynamics of everything. And you kind of get a sense of their, their struggle as a family unit, Mm -hmm. like Spock and his parents. And, uh, I feel like that gives such a sense of familiarity to your human side. Like, oh, they really are just like us. Just with pointy ears. You know, they try to hide it, but yeah. Like, they're going through a lot of the same issues that a human family would go through. Mm-hmm. And they point out, you, you get to see the the family issues within the Enterprise itself mm-hmm. a lot. Like, the way, especially at the end, when Kirk and Spock are both in the infirmary recovering. And you get to see... Oh, remind me the doctor's name. McCoy. McCoy. You get to see McCoy finally. He finally has the last word, yeah. which I feel like is such a middle child experience. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like he's. It, it, you you get the sense that they are, they're constantly nagging each other and arguing with each other, and like McCoy, he's finally at this point where he's taking care of them and he gets to have his last word, and that really is like sealed in that they are their own family also, and they have their own issues but they also really come through and support each other like with how they had to help Spock help his dad 
Mm-hmm. Spock would not have done that if he wasn't supported by his chosen family. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of an extension of like we had spoken earlier in earlier episodes how it's like they started this whole idea of the space western. And, like, the focus is, is, you know, these big idea episodes, but what really ends up coming through strongest is this idea of, like, friendship with, like, Kirk and Spock and, like, McCoy. That kind of ends up being, like, what the show kind of ends up being about, even though they have these big high-concept episodes. But what carries it through each week per week is that these people all care about each other so much and, like, are able to keep going into all this stuff. So, um it's fun to kind of see, like, I feel like this is maybe the episode, last episode was kind of about this too, like the friendship between them, but this kind of turns it more into like, that one is a little bit more about friendship. This one seems now to push it in this kind of more like family. We are all a family all together. Mm-hmm. And a crew, like it, it touches on like the nautical sailing aspect of the olden times, you know? Oh yeah. Like that crew coming together and being something more than themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it captures that so well. Mm-hmm. They're all more than some of their parts. Yeah. Um, so how do we feel about, so this is like our second look at Spock. Okay. This is our first look at Spock together, but um, like now this being like a Spock episode, um, what is it about Spock? Like how do we, how do we feel about Spock? How does this like enlighten his character? Like, what is it about Spock? Like, he's really the only character who gets any kind of character, like, development or look in the OG show. Um, what is it about Spock that's interesting? I feel like he's almost like a fallen angel, mm. uh, which he, I think he takes on the role of, of, like, in the movies especially, he takes it in a very Tolkien direction, the character. You know, I think he had a lot of insight there. He seems like one of the, when you read like the Silmarillion mm. or something, like one of the arch elves that fell to Middle Earth or... or like Gandalf. Like Gandalf, yeah. Yeah, the Maiar, mm-hmm. like the basically angelic beings who come to Middle Earth to help. Yeah, yeah, that are given from like elven heaven on Earth, whatever it's called, I can't remember. Yeah, the Undying Lands, mm-hmm. Valinor. Yeah, in a lot of ways Tolkien that's what... Coming, that's, coming what through. The, that's what the Vulcans are. Yeah. They're like, they're the elves that come down and enlighten the humans with all their blessed ways and their technology and whatever. Mm. Just told in a, with a different skin on it. You know what I mean? So for me, that's what Spock represents. Uh, and he's, he's like innocent and naive to a lot of the ways of humanity Mm. and him learning about his human ways is, is a journey for us as well. Mm. Like discovering parts of ourselves that we see in Spock. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting that you kind of bring up this idea of like, yeah, like the Maiar or like one of the, you know, the Vala from Valinor. Um, but it's like, what if one of those had a kid with just one of the, a human? And so this offspring shows up and it's like, I am supposed to kind of be this, but I'm also human. And so there's this constant self-doubting about uh, there's this, you can tell with Spock, there's like, there's this impossible idea, ideal, especially when you see his dad show up. You definitely see like, there is this impossible ideal that has been put on Spock to live up to. And he's just so just, how am I so, his, his dad seems like a very epic 
person, this Federation ambassador and like not just any Vulcan, but like one of the great Vulcans. And so how am I supposed to possibly live up to this? And then his mom almost kind of like, you can tell he loves her, but he's embarrassed by her because she represents all his flaws and like what's human about him. And he's just like, I love you so much, but, but, but I, but I'm Vulcan. Yeah. (laughs) He's just, he's caught between that rock and the hard place. What I find really interesting about all of that is that, because what you're, you're describing like the, the Vulcan expectations that he has to live up to and his human flaws. And in a bizarre twist way, that might be the most human experience of all time. I mean, all we are all ever doing is we're trying to live up to whatever X expectations were put onto our shoulders when we were raised, whatever those were. And we're all trying to overcome our human flaws, like our health or finances or needing to have a job these things that come with being in the human experience and we're, we're, but we're trying to live up to our own dreams and our own goals, whatever those may be. And we're trying to be bigger and better than what we're feeling and what we're experiencing. And so in a, I, in weirdly enough, it's almost that by having those Vulcan experiences, he embodies what it means to be human. Mm. Um, that's really interesting. This idea of like, you know, what is it to be human? And it's like, you are told from when you're a kid, either like where you come from or like you get a notion from your parents of what you're supposed to, what you think you're supposed to be. Then eventually that comes in a conflict with who you start to realize who you actually are, but it's in conflict with this idea of who you're supposed to be. Mm. And Spock is very much on that note, like a person, almost like a personification of this issue. And like, you could plug so many different kind of experiences. Like Spock can kind of be like an allegory for a lot of different kind of, he's both like, you know, the outsider and everything, but also this kind of difference is what makes him so strong though, because he's, you know, Kirk says he's my best officer. Like there's no question that Spock is like the greatest among them. You know, he's just got so much potential, but even, but he's so just reserved about it, you know, and it's, it's interesting that kind of like it, his, what makes him, what separates him is also what makes him so strong and why everyone ends up so caring about him. But then it's hard, but it's hard to always see that because in your head, you're always playing this game of who you think you're supposed to be versus who you actually are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I can't remember who the philosopher is, but there's a quote that I heard that I've always loved, and it's, I am who I think that you think that I am. Mm. Yeah. Meaning that we are always trying to interpret the perceptions of others and live up to that perception. But even what you understand someone else's perception to be is filtered through your own perception. So you'll never truly know what that is, and yet we still continue to try to meet this, to fill this role for for people that we're around. It's very interesting. Yeah, you don't entirely exist just within yourself. Like, who you are is also kind of this weird mix, like, 
you kind of exist in other people and then they share you, whether directly or indirectly, their perceptions of you. And that helps, that almost telling you who you are. This is what I see, so this is how I'm treating you. Mm-hmm. Oh, that must be who I am to some degree. Yeah, and some people just listen to that, and they just then they don't dig far further into it, or especially when what they're being told is something negative, mm-hmm. or something very putting you in a box. It's very easy to, and maybe even comfortable to stay in that box and say, "Well, I've been defined. I guess I can stop." It would be very simple for Spock to say, oh, well, I'm Vulcan. Logic is safe and comfortable. I understand it. I'm going to just stick with that, and I'm not going to explore my human side at all. Mm. Um, but it, just as you pointed out, it's that difference that he has that makes him such a valuable asset to the team. And it, that's why it's so important that we all explore those differences that we have within ourselves so that we can truly be the best contribution to this human team that we're all on. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't acknowledge those differences, then you won't ever get to know who you really are. How, how can you not relate to that to some degree? Whatever it is, I think everyone experiences it a little differently, Absolutely. certainly. Absolutely. But everyone, I think, to some degree, like looks at Spock and it's like, for being the most alien, he's somehow also the most human and relatable. That's very interesting. And that's something we kind of talked about with Star Trek as a whole, how it's like it's it's great to look at human issues through the lens of sci-fi in Star Trek because it, it removes you, gives you a nice screen to see those issues objectively. Like Spock is that screen for your, your humanness. Like he, he gives yeah. you a nice objective look at humanity, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Forces you to take, take a step back, but on a more personal level, mm-hmm. who am I? Rather than like who are we, humanity. And what do these things mean to us? Spock is much more like, but who, who am I? And how do I resolve this? There's always this conflict. It's always hard to pin down exactly what that inner conflict is. But Spock somehow seems to be a great representation of whatever that inner human conflict is. He's always on a precipice, like no matter what. Even old Spock. Yeah. Is, yeah. Always. Who am I? But so much wisdom comes from that. Because he's always asking himself that question. So he's always got some kind of wise little thing to say, I feel like, because of it. So much of that wisdom comes from that. He's constantly wrestling with that conflict within him. Absolutely. And I think it's, I think the day you stop asking yourself that question is the day you stop growing. Mm. And this day, the day you stop allowing yourself to transform and learn more things. When you say, oh, I am defined as this and that's it. it you it could be that you're putting a cap on yourself and putting a limit on your potential. Mm. Yeah, I would agree. That constantly questioning is what keeps you going. Mm-hmm. Um, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. And on the uh, same note of like found families. So like we had mentioned like at this point in the show, they're definitely like unquestionably like the center of the series. What about, what about them? Ma- like, why do they work so well? Like, why why does the why does the show choose to focus? Because when when we started, Aaron, that's not where the focus was. No, at all. It, was it a, just kind of becomes the focus. Yeah, it was much more an ensemble piece. Like, yeah, like Kirk as the lead, right. and then like his crew, and then it kind of becomes the Kirk Spock McCoy show, mm-hmm. and also starring everyone else. Right. So, what is it about them that? W- works 
I think they just have a natural chemistry first. Like as actors, they mm. they bounce off each other, they perform well together. Uh, the camaraderie feels natural, probably because it is in a lot of ways. I th- I'm sure they were all friends off camera as well. Mm-hmm. Those three, I need. I know a couple other cast members tended to butt heads with with Shatner and whatever. But oh yeah, yeah. It seems like they just they caught on to something in the ether and then and rode it into the sunset. You know, mm. just this beautiful thing, mm. a one in a million shot. It just works to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all three very strong. As characters, they're very strong personalities. All of them. They're very, I mean, they're all born leaders. They are all very key members of the crew. Uh, but they're very different in their values. They're very different in their approaches to problem solving. Uh, they're very different with their backgrounds uh, and their professions. All of it. They, they're very, very different individuals. But it's... It's again, it's the bringing together those differences and respecting each other's differences that makes them an incredible team and that makes them work so well together. And I mean, that might even highlight a big central theme with Star Trek in general, which is the reason why I love Star Trek so much, is that the show really emphasizes the value in embracing the differences in others rather than fearing them or criticizing them, but truly, and not even just appreciating, but embracing those things that make us all different. And that is what leads to, I mean, theoretically leads to a society that can work together enough to explore the cosmos to overcome whatever is going on on their home planet and branch out and explore and meet new species, meet new realms of people and beings. And you can't do that unless you have three dudes who are very stubborn but very different and can look at all of these perspectives. So I, It makes sense that these three would become very central to the show. Yeah, um, it's like the ultimate, I feel like Star Trek in some ways is like the ultimate showcase for we're stronger together that, that, that idea. And I don't think that's like what initially what the show was necessarily going for, but it seems like that's what they kind of stumble upon when they're doing it. It's like, oh, the only reason why we're able to go out here and do this is because we can all get along. And, and those three particularly feel like a good kind of like representation of like, um, how that works is yeah, they all do have their own little different, like they're different. They're, they're all very strong personalities and they all come at things so differently. They're about like, if there really was like a triangle of like how you can approach things, they are all at like the far polar ends of it, this weird triangle. They just all kind of, but they all seem to recognize that they all exist at those points and that it's rather than fight each other. It's like, tell me what's going on down there. Tell me what's going on here. And then they can figure out mm-hmm. what reality is almost, you know, it's like, Oh, here's the clearer picture because we're able to share these extreme. They also have very extreme perspectives on things. Mm-hmm. Kirk is leadership and action. And then Spock is like introspection and logic and, you know, and then McCoy is, 
the feeling, you know, and the, you know, we're human, damn it, you know, and um, this very emotional expression of this. But they, they, all three of these things are treated as, none of them are treated as if they're not valid. They're all treated as if they're all very valid. And only can we come to a clear understanding of something as if we're looking at all three of them at the same time. Um, I remember re- listening to an interview from the writer of this episode, DC Fontana. She said that like they just kind of stumbled upon. Um, she's like, somehow we were able to take one human being and split them into three human beings with those three. And it's like, if you somehow put all three of them together into one person, you would have like the most ideal, like human imaginable. You know, it's like someone who's super in touch with the, the feelings with McCoy, someone who's very though dedicated to curiosity and logic and introspection, but then someone who will always work to make the right decision and just always take action rather than not taking action. It's like, yeah, if you could somehow mm-hmm. take all that and create, but it's fun to see that broken apart and see like now no one person can actually be that person. It takes multiple people to be that, to be that person. Cause they would literally tear themselves into thirds. <laughs> couldn't handle it. That would just be terrifying. Yeah. Um, it's also kind of interesting how, um, on a on a larger level, the Federation, all this kind of family and relationship stuff is playing. The, but the backdrop of this is this intergalactic politics stuff. How all these aliens are trying to work together, and that's kind of an interesting backdrop for all this. Like it's kind of incidental to what the story is really about, like Spock and his parents and everything. Um, but it's definitely what's driving the action for it, and it is interesting to see how. It kind of works that on this macro level, there's this bigger thing playing out. And like you have the scenes with Sarek and the Tellarite ambassador arguing with each other, you know, and the Andorian stepping in just like, oh, you know, everything's fine, you know, whatever. It's kind of an interesting kind of backdrop they choose. Absolutely. They also they introduce the, the Federation's influence over the distribution of uh, supplies and resources between planets mm-hmm. um, with and the element of fairness um, albeit a fairness from the perspective of the federation of course but ensuring that there if if there's a planet hoarding all of the wealth in the area mm-hmm. trying to do like trying to influence that planet to reach out to neighboring planets trying to help and trying to bring each other up together rather than trying to enforce a bureaucratic hierarchy mm-hmm. so to speak mm-hmm. which i think is very forward for the time it's very interesting yeah i would agree dare i say it socialist <laughs> communism marxism oh no oh no <laughs> it's fun to think that like on the macro scale too like not a lot of things change as far as like strategic locations and and supply chains go and things like that, like all the same issues that we deal with on Earth, just on a, a bigger scale. That's fun to think about. Yeah, a bigger, different scale. Um, yeah, it's kind of fun. Like, what's fun about this is even though there's like murder, but like in the end, it's revealed that like because they set it up, it's like, is it one of the delegates killing one of the other delegates? Um, that's like Game of Thrones stuff. 
you know, the, the act it's actually about the infighting and blah, blah, blah. And this kind of sets it up like it's going to be that, but then it's like, Oh, actually none of the, like, even though there was the heated words, but like the murder was only from some outside person just trying to weaken the Federation. Cause just realizing how strong the Federation is. Cause it's just all these people who are actually dedicated to, yeah, there's maybe some big crazy thing going on, but, it's it's noble in the sense that they're all coming together and they're all everyone's willing to talk about how can we fix this even when there's like strong emotion and none of them were actually scheming against the other it was some outside influence that tried to get everyone to think they were scheming against each other that's kind of an interesting not uh, to mention all the like the pig creatures and the andorians yeah yeah so we get introduced to the so we see the vulcans mm-hmm. we've seen them before we get the andorians the blue-skinned, white-haired antenna people. I guess the makeup for them was... I guess this was a pretty expensive episode. Like, in the end, DC Fontana just kind of wrote, not thinking. And they were like, Do you have all these aliens, and they can't all just be... In the past, we've been able to get away with just, like, it's just white people wearing a hat. <laughs> you know? But it's like, we can't... They can't all be that. You have multiple aliens, so we actually have to make alien makeup for that's a, it that's a lot of work chef um for the 60s that was huge so i guess the andorian makeup was very expensive mm. for the time and they had to build like three of them and like one of them has to like break because we see the antenna break and it seems silly now but at the time that was all very expensive to like put that together and make it look convincing and good i mean it still is but now we have a industry to back it up you know oh yeah this was them like flying by the seat of their pants like all in-house like how can we yeah, and then we get the Tellarites, who are like the argumentative pig people. Um, right. Those masks, they were... So I guess, because you see like the big eye folds, so I guess the actor, he couldn't see. So he had to hold his head back to look through. Um, but ended up being kind of a boon, because it helped establish the Tellarites as these kind of... They look down on everyone, and they're snobbish, mm-hmm. and they're argumentative, and just because they're like... Rrr! <laughs> but it was just so he could see out the mask. Yeah, so this is the first time. And I. so the fun thing is later on it's established, this is just total trivia, later on it's established that the humans, the Vulcans, the Andorians, and the Tellarites, they're all the four founding members of the Federation. And it's Ooh. it's kind of a tribute to this episode because it's the first time we see... They're all interacting. All of them, all, the Federation interacting. So they're like, let's just actually make them the, the original members. The founders. So those are like all the found. Those are the four founding members um, of the Federation. And then you never see the Tellarites again. Um, <laughs> I think that's mostly all. Um, let's see. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, we should also note that Mark Leonard previously played the Romulan commander in Balance of Terror. Yeah, we were talking about that a little bit. Yeah, right. I learned like, he first appeared as a Romulan. Yeah, when he was one of our earlier episodes, and it's the first time you ever see the Romulans, mm-hmm. um, and he's like the Romulan commander. And in that episode, we were all gushing about his performance in that episode, how he was just so good. And so he was so good, they brought him back to play Spock's dad. So if you had a good eye in the 60s watching the show, you would have been like, wait a minute, hang on. You would have had no DVD to go back to and check, you know? Yeah. You'd never be sure. Nope. <laughs> I love that. It's like Capaldi's cameo in the earlier seasons. Yeah. Uh, they bring him back later. Yeah. 
He's great. I think like I think both the I think the casting for the parents is like spot on. It's like it's so it's so easy to imagine them being Spock's parents. Absolutely. And as soon as you see those two, and it's like it's real. It, they make it really easy for your brain to start filling in the gaps of like what Spock's childhood might have been like with these two. Um, Jane Wyatt was famous for playing. She was the mom on the '50s sitcom Father Knows Best, so she was already famous for playing this kind of mom character and so they brought her on to play spock's mom she thought it was she had no idea what star trek was she thought it was going to be like a comedy and then she was like this is like a dramatic there's that scene where she that scene she has with spock is pretty hardcore oh yeah very heartaching where she's just begging him to do the operation to save her husband's life his dad's life he's like i can't and that slapping scene just every time i watch him it's like jeez no one ever wants to get slapped by their parents because Mm. (laughs) well that's what that's what it was i was going to say the point you were making about how they're both right and both wrong you you see that exactly in that scene play out like yeah both their cases are made and and you're like how how the fuck would anyone choose right like it's it's an impossible situation yeah and spock even says it he's like you're asking me what would what would my father even say if he knew i abandoned the lot like what I'm doing now is protecting the lives of the hundreds of people on this ship right now. And if I were to abandon that to save the life of him, just this one person, he would be incredibly disappointed in me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's asked, she's telling him, don't, it doesn't matter what he thinks. It matters what you do mm-hmm. and you should care about your dad. And it's just this, they both have very, they're both sound in their own reasoning for what's going on. Yeah. And it creates a very impossible dilemma that Kirk ends up needing to resolve. Yeah, stepping in. and That's good writing, though. Like, when there's, like, not clearly a... It's not, like, a clear... Like, when you see, when Spock says, like, I, I have to... There are hundreds of people on the ship. And, like, interstellar war could happen. And, like, you're not like, Spock, you idiot. Just save your dad. It's like, Spock does have a legitimate point about not just like, this is a tough spot. Because he was, he volunteered himself until Spock got, until Kirk got injured. And he was like, I can't now. And it was like, oh no, but he's going to die. But but it, it forces you as the audience to wrestle with it rather than tell you what to feel about it. You're like, yeah, what is the, you know, even though she slaps and walks out, you're like, I, I get where everyone is coming from in this. Which is, yeah, good writing. It should never give you the answer. No. It's like like if a painting, everybody looked at it and got the same thing out of that painting. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, what's the point? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think they both do a a really good job. I think, in fact, Mark Leonard, the guy who played Spock's dad. um, So Spock usually got the biggest chunk of fan mail every week. Fans loved the show, of course, even though it was struggling in the ratings. The fans who watched it loved it. And he always got the most. But for two weeks after this episode, Mark Leonard, a guest star, got the most fan mail. It was the only time that anyone got more than him. Wow. Um, Spock's dad got more for a couple of weeks because of this episode. <laughs> Isn't that difficult? Uh, oh, my God, my dad. It <laughs> <laughs> reminds me of, of Beckham and his kid on, like, I think it was Twitter. It might have been Instagram. But Beckham just flexing all his followers on his kid after he got like a million for the first time. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) 
Um, I guess the final thing is just, um, like I said, this is considered to be one of the classics, at least of the original show, if not maybe like one of the very few all-time. Um, how does this one kind of hold up, just generally speaking? Good episode of Star Trek. I mean, looking at at the original series overall, I could see why you'd put it in a lot of people's top ten if you had to. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I don't know if I would. But yeah, you said you weren't like it didn't quite have your attention through all of it like some others did. No, no, uh, it was still good. It was still a good episode. It was well written. It was. Um, I loved the the look at the Federation. I appreciated that from a world building perspective. Mm-hmm. Maybe I just wasn't in the mood to watch a Star Trek today. Who knows? Mm-hmm. You know, how can okay anyone never not be in the mood? I don't know. Set and setting or everything. You know. <laughs> Uh, what do you think, Marquet? How do you think this one holds up over over I time? I definitely see why it's a classic. It, I mean, getting to know Spock's origins, knowing his parents, learning that he is part human and part Vulcan, uh, as well as the Federation look. I also really appreciated the intrigue throughout it. There was definitely a mystery present, and I'm a sucker for a mystery, obviously. A little bit um, of a whodunit. Love a good whodunit. Uh. And this was full of whodunits. It was very twisting, and there was the mystery ship that they couldn't identify. There was the mystery murder. There was the uh, attacker who was revealed to be a, a different attacker in disguise. I mean, it was very, very good writing, and definitely... Maybe I could see why it's not in people's personal like 10 favorite episodes, but I would argue it is part of like the necessary Star Trek 101 episodes. Yeah. It, it very sets it does a lot to set up the tone for the show and the the world that they're the personal characters are experiencing, not just the universe but the enterprise. Mhm. Yeah, I'd agree. Like, I think one of the things I wouldn't call this my like single favorite. Um, and there are definitely ones I would just like. I just want to, if I want to go watch a Star Trek episode from the OG show, I don't know if this would be like the first one I go to, but this is always one I enjoy in the sense that, like, there's so, like you said, there's so much going on in this one. Um, it's probably one of the ones that juggles multiple things and does it really well. It's like there's like politics, there's espionage, there's starship action. The Who Done It, and there's like this family drama. There's just a and it, it, it all go. None of it gets lost. It all works. It all like it's all part of one story. But there's so many different things going on in this one, and I think she does. GC Fontana does a really good job of making it all work. Nothing gets lost. This is the first time we've seen the weird green wraparound. Um, hmm. Have we seen this before? I feel like we saw it maybe episode four for us. Maybe three or four. Maybe earlier we saw it. Briefly. I love it. It wasn't for the whole episode. I absolutely. It's still the weirdest. Like, what is he wearing? The green, the weird Captain Kirk green wraparound. <laughs> it's like, the emblem on the belly button. That, that's like his belt, or like, but it's yeah. like his shirt. It's the weird. <laughs> you know, when soccer teams, they have their home and their away kit, but when they go to play teams from other countries, they'll have an alternate kit. So yeah. maybe that's his, his like International Interplanetary Federation uniform. <laughs> that's his alt. Oh, geez. Um, 
Yeah, um, fun. Ep- I think a really fun episode, and I think you're right. Definitely Star Trek 101. There might be more entertaining ones to go back to, but it, this is like meat and potatoes, bread and butter. Mm-hmm. It's like this helps you. Re- it really fills in the world, the show, the whole thing. Um, any final thoughts before I move on? Numenor. Numenor. Um. Well, there it is. Journey to Babel. We just all went on the journey to Babel, and I think it was a pretty good journey. And it did have babes. And it did have babes. It had a purple babe. The purple oh, alien the babe purple in the back. Babe. In the background, uh, looking all like into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Never forget. <laughs> um, okay, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me ramble nonsense. That's this so whole this whole show should be just be called rambling nonsense <laughs> I feel like very little of what y'all said was nonsense today <laughs> um, next week we're going to be watching um, so Star Trek does kind of become famous for these I think this will be our first real one Star Trek becomes famous for these allegory yeah. episodes where Star Trek will hone in on a contemporary issue of the time and then we'll do a thinly veiled sci-fi plot and it's like where they never actually say what the episode's about but it's very clear what the episode is actually about episodes <laughs> uh, so uh, next week we're going to be watching A Private Little War which is Star Trek's Vietnam episode we're going to be getting in so getting out of this character driven stuff and getting right back into like the high concept like philosophical moral problem of the week something about the threat of being canceled i think really spurs writers on to to try to say something sometimes we got it we got to make a splash here yeah we're gonna talk about vietnam do it we're gonna do it so we'll see how we'll see how well it turns out Mm, good luck um thanks for listening hope you enjoyed what you heard um hope to tune in again next week um and for more Uh, until then i'm jaron hatch i'm aaron cole Thanks, Mark K. Thanks, guys. Yeah, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening. If you'd like to share your own Star Trek story or give us a hot take on the episode we just watched, you can join the conversation by visiting our Discord server. You can find us by clicking on the link in the show description.